Welcome, everybody, to episode 205 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, featuring myself, Ben. And I am David. And what are we talking about today? I think in honor of May the 1st, even though May the 1st is actually considerably past now, but, you know, that's, that's, it's, we're all timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly <laughs> here at the Metabilis 2 podcast. Um, imagine, if you will, it's May the 1st, it was relatively recent. We were going to talk about the occult in Doctor Ooh. Who, spooky. Hot off Beltane. Hot off Beltane, the greatest cult festival of the year bar Halloween, according to, I think it's the Doctor who said that in mm-hmm. The Demons. Yeah. So Beltane would be the last day of April, and then May Day would be, it's kind of a... a Solstice a, thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, like Halloween is, the, you know, the kind of, um, kind of, oh, here come the ghosts, we're going into winter time, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, Beltane is like, oh, no, it's springtime. Let's all sacrifice a virgin um, <laughs> to make sure our apples are fruitful this year. Uh, it's that time of year. So it's a happy time unless you're unless you're a virgin, in which case it's a dangerous <laughs> time. You need to go and hide. This seems to be a particular phenomenon of the British Isles, right? This is definitely a pagan um, type ritual, or I guess uh, Christians have it too with Easter. Yeah, Easter rebirth thing, death and resurrection. Yeah, well, I mean the Easter. Okay, I mean let's we'll, we'll, let's get relatively nerdy about this. So the your Easter bunny, which of course is the big uh, manifestation of Easter in the United States, particularly that was originally not a bunny at all. Of course, um, it was a hare. Because March, uh, April is when the hares start mating with each other to make baby hares. And they're in the fields and you can see them dancing around and the male hares are boxing with each other. And because hares don't live underground, they live, um, they live on the surface. Hmm. They are a symbol of springtime. And of course, you don't have hares in the United States. So mm-hmm. when that was transposed to the United States, it's like, well, what are those animals? They're bunnies of some kind. And there you have, therefore, you have Easter rabbit, Easter bunny. Yeah. Which is actually an Easter hare. I see. But a hare is a very, you know, it's a very ancient kind of um, uh, pagan symbol of rebirth in the springtime. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a lot of occult or English folk horror type stories in the first Doctor's reign. I can't think of a single story, and it doesn't seem to be much in the Troughton era either. It isn't until Pertwee and the Demons do we get the big english folk horror uh, story of the devil coming into a small english village yeah and it's, it's interesting i think the 70s were a big time for that kind of thing mm-hmm. which i think again is a kind of a knockoff a knock-on from you know, the spirituality in inverted commas of the kind of late 60s hippie era people are kind of exploring the age of aquarius and i think actually joe even even references the age of aquarius doesn't she at some point yes in she that does, story. Yeah. yeah she does so that's what that is. And I think what you get is that you get the collision of that kind of non-Christian interest in non-Christian spirituality with Hammer Horror, which was, you know, um, through the 50s and into the 60s was a, uh, a kind of a horror movie making that was based in the past rather than in the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get those two things kind of colliding and you get the triad of of the, the kind of key documents of English folk horror movie making, which is The Wicker Man and The Witch Finder General and The Blood on Satan's Claw, which, uh, of course, Blood on Satan's Claw stars both Anthony Ainley and Wendy Padbury. Yes, famously stars Wendy Padbury and Anthony Ainley. And those are the kind of key documents of English folk horror. And, of course, Doctor Who being a show that follows uh, in an interesting way, rather in some ways than innovates, 
obviously with the demons was doing a show that was kind of picking up on those vibes basically i think mm-hmm. man well it's it's contemporary like the blood on satan's claw is 1971 and i believe demons is 1971 too so wicker man didn't come out for another couple of years uh when was the witch fighters general is that late 60s or is that 68 um and that was so, a, that yeah was... that's kind of the first salvo i think on that yeah, and that was a it was a made by a filmmaker called Michael Reeves, who kind of famously didn't make many movies, mm-hmm. and then died of an overdose at the age of twenty five in in London. So yeah, there's interesting stuff here. I mean, there there are there are there are actually more um, kind of weird English kind of folk horrors. I just recently watched a movie called The Ballad of Tam Lin, which was the only movie that Roddy McDowell out of um, Planet of the Apes um, <laughs> made. And that's nuts. That's set in the Highlands of Scotland. And that's, that's, um, that's even more nutty than The Wicker Man, actually, in terms of kind of folk horror stuff. So that, I said, we talk about there's these three kind of key movies, but there are others and they're kind of fun to find lying around. Um, yeah, Ballad of Tamlin was 1970. Mm-hmm. And that's free to watch on YouTube, Ballad of Tamlin <laughs> fans. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just watched that like, a couple of months ago so it's mm-hmm. still still very, fresh very much fresh it. and actually thinking about it it's a lot more doctor who-y than those other three movies because it's kind of lighter and the the kind of nightmare that the main character is involved in is more kind of implied than actual um but yeah so it's 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 a, it's a it's a fun watch so i mean i think all of this occult stuff was was kind of you know sloshing around um and it, you know as as we know Barry Letts, a practicing Buddhist of some kind, interested in alternative spirituality, um, interested in kind of the doctor's journey through alternative spirituality. And they obviously, you know, they wanted to do a kind of folk horror show, um, mm-hmm. uh, a folk horror story. And folk horror is basically, I mean, I think relatively hardish to define, but it is horror that is based in the countryside um that is non kind of urban based and has roots into actual kind of legend um and of course right now it's something that's incredibly popular i mean you you just look at um ben wheatley who's a, again an avowed doctor who fan yep. and made the opening a couple of shows of capaldi's first season again he's made some some classic folk horror movies um a Kill List from 2011. That is an awesome film. Please watch that. Um, don't watch it if you have a weak stomach, though, because it is kind of horrible. And then his most recent, In the Earth from 2021, which I think he's actually on record of saying that it basically he wanted to kind of make a Doctor Who mm-hmm. that wasn't Doctor Who. Basically, he was kind of, OK, I'm, I want to do something that's Doctor Who-y, but it's not Doctor Who. And that's what, and In the Earth, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it has um, Reese Shearsmith from Out of League of Gentlemen. And obviously, as everyone knows, League of Gentlemen, big Doctor Who fans. Um, he was... The, the Troughton in an adventure, an adventure of time and space. Um, it all kind of fits together. England's a small country. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I guess, sorry, the, the third of, 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 and the, actually maybe the, the greatest of, of Wheatley's folk horror movies is A Field in England, which again has Shearsmith in it and is again absolutely nuts and well worth watching. Not particularly violent, but very, very weird. Um, don't watch it if you have any kind of you've taken any kind of hallucinogenic drug of any kind um, at any point in your life don't watch that movie because it will freak you out man 
Good advice. Good advice. Um, so there you go. Yeah, that's um, yeah. So that's the demons. I think. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. again, we, this is always something that's that's fun to talk about in for the Metabolas too. When did you first watch the demons? Did you pick up any of those undercurrents? I saw it when I was in high school, so that would be sometime in the nineteen eighties. Saw it in black and white on public broadcasting and no didn't at all i was not a big hammer horror fan in my teen years so it just seemed like a normal extension of doctor who at that time with pertwee this is something that pertwee it just seemed to fit well within the pertwee vibe i guess it didn't stand out to me as uh capturing any greater theme at all so it is only a retrospective association with uh, folk horror did you have an idea of the difference between the English countryside and English kind of urban activity? Was that like a distinction that you would make as an American? There's the difference between the two things? Mm, uh, other than one is green and the other is gray? Uh, yeah, a little bit, I think. Uh, mostly probably more due to just my experience with uh, I grew up in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, uh, St. Paul particularly, and I have rural relatives who were, or still are, farmers and definitely different culturally. And Children of the corn. Well, not, not quite, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so there, there, um, there, there is a different, uh, different culture, different values, different way of approaching things. Uh, it tended to be, I think, uh, the rural tend to be a little more conservative than the uh, urban, and th- there is definitely a difference between them. So that just it seemed to fit. And my first introduction to Doctor Who was with Tom Baker's Doctor, and you have. Terror of the Zygons, I think, is the first uh, rural-type story, and it just seemed to fit within the genre of Doctor Who. And then you have something like Android Invasion the following year, again, a rural area where outsiders are kind of looked down on. So it seemed to fit. There wasn't anything particularly strange other than, like, the May Day ceremony. It's sort of like uh, with uh, the quote from... Anchorman that escalated quickly with the <laughs> with, because the the fertility right the May Day dance and then the sacrifice it's sort of like that was kind of a non sequitur to me because right. without knowing the background right without knowing a lot about Morris dancing and all that kind of thing right yeah but because of course I mean you you reference you know relatives being conservative I mean conservatism i.e. we don't like outsiders and we we stick to the old ways and we worship the old gods the way that things used to be. Right. Um, conservatism is absolutely kind of right in the center of folk horror, basically, because it mm-hmm. is. It's, you know, new people come into a place where people are deeply conservative and being deeply conservative if you really want to push that in a horror way is not being, you know, evangelical Christian or anything like that. It is being deeply pagan and sacrificing people and doing stuff like it used to happen not like it is now mm-hmm. actually one thing i mean here's here's a here's something that i kind of fits for me i mean you're an avowed fan of the good life or as um in america was called um what was it called in america the good life good neighbors good neighbors there you go you have a kind of a rural urban clash right there and you have a sitcom that's based around 60s counterculture trying to manifest itself in a um in an urban setting you know if only tom and barbara had like sacrificed margot or something um you know to the old gods then you'd get you'd absolutely you'd get a (laughs) 
Well, you, the, get a, the, you get a piece of folk horror in Surbiton. Well, I think that uh, that's good because in the first series, the sixth episode was called "The Pagan Right." Oh, was it? I just I'm, I'm not I'm not as much of a of a good neighbors expert as you. Really, right, right. The penultimate story of the first series uh, was called "The Pagan Right." So it, there you go. I, I think they definitely. Uh, at least tongue in cheek, we're referencing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think there was it was a thing that was really you know that was really kind of current culturally at the time. Mm-hmm. I think that's the story where the goods went off and Margot and Jerry tried to tend the farm. <laughs> but I, th- I think <laughs> but I can remember that. Episode. My memory's a little well, with yeah, with with, with hilarious results. Of, uh, one would hope. Of well, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah. I I can vaguely remember that episode. Uh, I, I'm not sure. My memory is kind of uh, fuzzy on that, but uh, uh, Margot and Jerry <laughs> might not be that one. I haven't watched The Good Life in, in, in a, a while, but time, yeah. yes, it. Uh, <laughs> I do know that one of the uh, uh, Good Life stories was the pagan rites. So. And again, <laughs> again, if again, if you look at. We just, I mean, we'll talk about, you know, we talk, we just referenced a sitcom. If you look at kind of kids TV in the early to mid seventies, you get shows like The Changes and Children of the Stones, various episodes of The Tomorrow People. In fact, The Tomorrow People in general all have this kind of rural horror aspect to them, which is, you know, outsiders come into a rural place and bad things happen. And I guess I suppose, you know, there are strands of that in American cinema. I mean, I guess if you're thinking about something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where, you know, okay, outsiders come into a rural place and bad things happen. I think maybe what makes the makes the folk horror thing different is that it's it's not a new thing, that what what's happening is based on you know, some old ritual and ancient things rather than just a bloke with a chainsaw. Which is pretty much the Wicker Man completely. Yeah, I mean, the Wicker Man is is the main text, basically. Yes, the Wicker Man Mm -hmm. is... And the Wicker Man is extraordinary because, you know, it's one of those movies where... I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Wicker Man, um, where kind of lightning struck and everything, everything came together and it worked perfectly. Whereas the director, he, they, they tried to do a sequel. Well, they did a sequel to the Wicker Man, I think about 10 years ago. And it was just not that good because they didn't really know what they were doing. But in terms of the actors, the script by Anthony Schaffer, you know, the director, it's, yeah, Wicker Man is, is an amazing movie. And when I say Wicker Man, what I mean is the original Wicker Man, don't watch the Nicolas Cage one, um, which is the awful <laughs> tra- travesty, travesty. The Wicker Furniture the Man. Wicker furniture. Oh, no, the bees, the bees. <laughs> um, yeah, one thing, I mean, I, I again, I, I'll, I'll point out as well, is that actually you can go further back into the Pertwee era if you think a little bit about what the Silurians are mm. and you think about things like race memory and, you know, the old ways and a time when, you know, human beings were subjugated by an elder race of some kind, that sort of Lovecraft right. way. I mean, that's sort of what the Silurians are. And again, you know, if you look at things like the coming race, Bulwer-Lytton's coming race from um, kind of late, early 20th century and the idea that there are super beings lurking within the center of the earth ready to emerge and kind of rule over us. That's basically what the Silurians is. Hmm. And if you fast forward all the way to the Chibnall reboot of the Silurians and in Moffat's era, they're the Silurians, you know, they're not kind of skulking in sort of, you know, caves. Um, they have giant underground cities and you really are um, looking at the Vril there. And these are underground super beings who are going to emerge and rule over us. So there are, you know, again, as soon as you start to look at, 
who, um, especially in the 70s, you can start to pull out a lot of this stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. With the bits of the folk horror, I guess the the analog in the United States would be uh, co-opting Native American traditions. You wouldn't have that same type of folk horror in the U.S. So looking at the uh, ancientness of the Silurians, I wonder if like a Lovecraftian thing where you have the ancient horror from the dawn of time, Cthulhu type uh, mythos that that is more of an American reinterpretation or a reinvention of folk horror per se. Yeah, and I think uh, that's, that, that's that's part of it. I mean, I think one of the things that I really enjoy with a rewatch of the, which I do you know, relatively regularly, The Wicker Man, is it's absolutely kind of Lovecraftian in some ways in that, you know, I think the, the kind of high-level elevator summary of, of, of Lovecraft is that, you know, the universe is meaningless and, nothing makes sense, um, God is a mad idiot. What's great about The Wicker Man is that even though it's kind of a, a text that people return to as like, ooh, paganism is amazing, blah, blah, blah. The Actually, spoiler alert, the end of The Wicker Man, what you realize is that the paganism is, is, is just as idiotic as Christianity and their life is completely meaningless, nothing makes sense, and all that's going to happen is that we just get murdered by other people. Um, it's a very, very bleak, very, very existential movie, um, as is... H.P. Lovecraft is very, very bleak, very, very mm-hmm. existential. There, you know, being a nothingness, there is, there is no meaning to the universe. And I don't think Doctor Who ever goes as far as that. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if that's a Doctor Who flip on this. It is, is yeah. The bleakness is eliminated. Exactly. And I think, again, thinking at the beginning of The Demons, you know, the Doctor quotes Arthur C. Clarke and says, any advance science is indistinguishable from magic or something. You know, uh, he's explaining, you know, The Demons... It seems like magic, but it's just really, really advanced science. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who kind of places a meaning on top of this, which is, you know, as you said, it's the it's the flip that the show does. Yeah. So once Sloman and Let's mind folk horror, I guess, in the demons, they didn't really touch upon that again. Aside from, I guess, the time monster, you could imagine the return to Atlantis again is trying to tie in with the age of Aquarius, that whole vibe, but it's not the English village. It's not the, it's not the countryside. I don't see a return to the English countryside at all in the Pertwee era. I mean, one vague, I mean, I, I maybe I'm just kind of special pleading because it's one of my favorites, but you know, something like the green death, which, you know, has these very, very strong horror elements so to it. Welsh countryside, I guess. Welsh countryside. And you have the hippie element, the sort of hippies trying to stop mm-hmm. the stop the industrial evil of some kind. Um, so yeah, that that might be part of it as well, possibly. But I guess I think you're right. I mean, you don't really get it again. I I think possibly until Image of the Fendal, which yeah. is a I think another interesting strand of 1970s culture, which is the whole Eric von Daniken ancient astronaut thing. Mm-hmm. Which of course you know Pert we sort of did in Planet of the Daleks. Not Planet of the Daleks, but uh, Death to the Daleks, where we realized that, well, yes, these are the pyramid builders. You came and built the pyramids for everybody, and they're the Exilons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a kind of straight Eric von Daniken overlay. Um, 
the image of the Fendal, I think, is slightly more subtle and kind of complex, and is a you know is a again a kind of a synthesis of various kind of sixties hippie ideas of you know Gestalt creatures and magic and you know spells and but again, as you say, with us with a Doctor Who scientific overlay, which well, this isn't actually magic; these aren't actually spells. This is just ancient races. Mm-hmm. It's in this same time period that Ian Martyr and Tom Baker were ginning up the Scratchman movie idea, too. So it's uh, very true. That's, I think, if it had been filmed then, it would have definitely fit within this genre of folk horror. I think why we don't see it more in Doctor Who is because despite the belief that Doctor Who always is fighting the alien in a small village, it's its a pretty rare occurrence. We don't see that very often in the 1970s. The Doctor, even Pertwee, is no longer earthbound by his second season. Yeah, a lot of that is to do with, I think, fans um, you know, of an older generation, I mean, kind of our generation, who kind of you know, really put... Kind of idolize the demons as being just the kind of the pinnacle of 70s who um and by extension we all think yeah well it was like that all the time and as again if you point out it wasn't really like that all the time mm-hmm. and i suppose the next one we get to would that be would would that be um the vampire one are you thinking state of decay yeah i'm thinking possibly the first part of stones of blood with the pagan rituals oh, and stones the of... druidic studies right. i mean the horror aspect, I guess, is the sacrifice, right? The, with Tom being sacrificed by uh, Martha and DeFries. Of course. And the whole idea of the ogre and then the touching of the with the campers, just generic campers touching the stones and being drained of their blood. It's summoning back to the archaeology, and it seems like folk horror, at least the first few stories, we have archaeology uh, at the dig at the devil's hump, um, you have archaeology with Fendel, then you have archaeology again with Amelia Rumsford and Vivian Fay. They're doing a resurvey of the nine travelers. So it seems like archaeology is kind of the theme. And if you fast forward all the way into the RTD era, like Satan Pit, they're doing a bit of archaeology in this impossible planet. That seems to be a hook into these type of stories for folk horror. Yeah, and I think in some ways that's the difference between the UK in terms of archaeology and the United States in terms of archaeology. When you think about an archaeology in an American, archaeology in American context, you think, well, when I say you, I think of, you know, Indiana Jones and leaping about and finding gold in places and escaping stuff. <laughs> this should and, be in a museum. That should be in a museum. <laughs> that's archaeology. Oh, you know, Lara Croft... Whereas in Britain, like archaeology, I think is different. Um, a, it's a lot more bone, and it's a lot more junk, and it's a lot spookier. You're digging up dead people, and I think what's fun about Britain is, in many ways, is that you know you have the the American horror movie cliche of oh no, it's built on an Indian burial ground, like you know poltergeist or something. Um, well, in Britain, basically everything is built on an Indian burial ground. Mm. You know, there isn't anywhere in Britain where somebody wasn't buried. So any house that you live in is built over someone who's dead. So that has kind of no has no meaning. But mm. what it means is, as soon as you start involving yourself in archaeology, you potentially start digging up things that are going to you're going to f you up. Basically, because they're from the dawn of time. Yeah, yeah. So you had mentioned state of decay, and I'm not sure that I would. Yeah. Lump that in as full core. It 
takes place in an east-based alien world and it seems more of a vampire retelling for the vampires of Gallifrey rather than any kind of folk horror aspect you have the horror of the blood draining and vampires and whatnot but I'm 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 not seeing the connection with that. I think the connection there is the you know the occult aspects of the vampires, also their kind of degenerate nature, where you know they kind of um, well literally degenerated from people who had a spaceship to people mm-hmm. who are just living in a spaceship. Basically, to me, it's the nearest that Doctor Who ever really got to kind of well, let's just mm-hmm. do a Hammer horror then, rather than let's take elements of Hammer horror and sprinkle it in. Let's just make a Hammer horror film. Let's have vampires. Let's have a village. You know, let's have a vampire hunter turning up the Doctor, and you know, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of how, how it works for me. But I mean, this is a question I had actually. I mean, you, you said you weren't a Hammer horror film fan. Was were, were those movies on TV? Were they playing in the in the movie theaters when you were a kid, or what was the? No, Hammer Hammer Horror is something more in the age of VHS. So you would, oh, okay, you would have to get a VHS cassette in the eighties and, and watch it. And I don't have any strong memories. And this isn't a Hammer Horror one, but the uh, the one the kind of lame, not lame. Well, it was lame, but not not saying Hammer Horror is lame, but the kind of one that's, uh, that I have any recollection of wasn't Hammer Horror. It was the Lair of the White Worm, which was oh. just really, really a strange film. But that that it seemed to be of that ilk and genre just a decade or two later. A decade later, effectively. Yeah, I mean that was that was Ken Russell basically making his own Hammer Horror film um, yeah. and updating Bram Stoker to I don't know Ken Russell's own interests. Oh yeah, that's a that's that's a great film. I really like that movie. Yeah, it's an early role for Hugh Grant. It's Hugh Grant. Yeah, yeah. So that Hugh. was <laughs> that's what yeah. that's my memory of it, and uh, it's kind of soft porn. I think was the other bit that I remember. That always makes things memorable. Yes, I was glad my parents didn't walk in in particular. <laughs> particular moments when when, uh friends were over watching that one yes very true very very true yes yes um but uh touching back on that i'm thinking brain of morbius then is another attempt of uh doing a hammer horror effectively in the same kind of genre of a state of decay because we have the sisterhood of karn which is very pagan-esque in their rituals you have the mad scientists you have a lot of hammer horror type tropes in there and you're not setting it in english countryside you could envision this whole story taking place in i don't know devon yeah it could easily take place in devon definitely <laughs> somerset yeah any of those places yeah i i think i i, I was i always see brain and morbius as just being a straightforward frankenstein story so basically it's it's doctor mm-hmm. who does frankenstein rather than doctor who does hammer horror does frankenstein you see what i mean hmm well see i thought the frankenstein story was uh robots so i, I always hmm. think robots more of like a king kong than frankenstein interesting yeah 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 and i've, I've always i've always felt it's more king kong than frank but I, it's both because yeah. that's the genius that's the genius of doctor who is like it mashes stuff up and makes them twice as interesting mm-hmm. it's um yeah if if, if if dr frankenstein has made a king kong rather than just a frankenstein so back to the era of the Lair of the White Worm, we guess the Awakening, the the two parter. Oh yeah, of uh, it's a church. Davison era, which a horror, uh, the malice in in a church, and it they have again the May Queen that Tegan's going to be sacrificed, and 
psychic energy, uh, the, a village trying to recreate something, an uh, old way. Yep. It's the Davison era take on folk horror. Right? Absolutely, yeah. And then, then it has the, has the Who overlay that this isn't actually like a you know, nameless horror from ancient legend, but it's, a, it's an alien weapon. Mm-hmm. Which is absolutely fine. I mean, I think if we are going to jump to that era, we could also go to K Nine and Company, which is <laughs> which, which yeah, is you know, occult with a capital O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, you know, witchy, sacrificey people who I don't know, kind of peter off towards the end. It's a long time since I've seen K Nine and Company, but I can definitely remember the deep sense of disappointment. Um, when I'd finished watching it, but yeah, you know, there you go. I mean, the <laughs> the, the, the villain, the villains are a cult of some kind, um, and yeah. they are going to sacrifice people in a way that can only be foiled by K nine, which is ironic since he doesn't really move around that well and in yeah. the countryside because he's a robot dog. Um, but there you go. It would yeah, uh, just my thought in K nine and company. It would have been better if it was just Sarah Jane Adventures and didn't have K nine at all. There, just saddling. Liz Sladen with K9 was probably what killed that story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird... I mean, again, it's kind of almost the JNT era in a nutshell, which is like completely misunderstanding what people actually want, which is what people actually wanted is... Well, okay. What I actually wanted was a lot more Sarah Jane Smith and a lot less K9. I certainly would have, would have accepted Sarah Jane Smith and K9 doing stuff together. But JNT, in his wisdom believed that what everybody wanted was a lot more canine mm. and you're exactly right it should have just been sarah jane doing things and canines around when she needs him if you would have had a cameo of like a harry sullivan he had ian martyr there in that first episode oh, or yep. have nick courtney or mesh up with the unit or just it just would have worked better and just not have that connection with canine but uh, i think jnt was looking for a way to diffuse young fans who love K9 uh, saying, oh, look, K9's coming back in its own series with Sarah Jane. You remember Sarah. And um, I kind of think he dropped the ball. Maybe BBC wasn't interested in it. It did get decent ratings at the time. So, But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a chameleon thing. It's like, okay, we've got this magic robot that's a really great prop that works really, really well and it will be excellent when actually it's none of those things. Yeah, but Chameleon could have worked, again, good if you would have just hired a different actor each week. It's a shape-shifting robot. You don't actually need the prop there we, to be Chameleon. You just had some shiny Tin Man makeup on him. Exactly. We've, I mean, we've had this discussion before, and we, we both exactly agreed. That's the, so... And I remember even at the time, I was frustrated with Chameleon. It's like, why? This is great. They're going to have a different actor each week doing a different thing because it's a shape-shifting robot and they never did that it was ugh. yeah another another uh, missed opportunity chant here be angry <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like chibnall writ large in the 80s so. it is there you go yeah and again you didn't need to have a robot you could have just said you could have just had a, a person sprayed a, a chameleon sprayed silver yeah it, and yeah the clue is in the name <laughs> it's a chameleon it can change into things that aren't a robot anyway whatever we're really digressing well here. but that would have been a very interesting companion you have a, a chameleon yeah. species that could shape shift and it could be an animal it could, it could frobisher it, it's, frobisher. it's, it's frobisher. frobisher i mean the, co- the the comics took that and did it and did it the did way it, it should right. be done it's yeah. frobisher exactly yeah. Yeah. you know on it's, it's regular appearance is something amusing and easy to do easy to draw in terms of comics i.e a penguin mm-hmm. but when you need it to shape shift into something useful it will absolutely do that and yeah it would have been 
would have made the mid eighties um, for Doctor Who so much more. Early to mid eighties would have made it would have made it so much better and so much more amusing and effective. Yeah, having Frobisher in the Colin Baker era, I think, would have been a boon. I think it would have revitalized the series. I, I should have had the Frobisher season instead of the trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could, and you, and again, you could have subcontracted with London Zoo to provide an emperor penguin or two <laughs> that would have like flap around in the TARDIS for a bit, and then every time they left the TARDIS, he'd shape shift into something else. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Oh, it's genius! Writes itself. If only we could go back in time and help John Nathan Turner to do it properly, then we would, but we can't. Yeah, it's another thing. Big Finish just hasn't. Yeah, I guess the Frobisher stories were unpopular when Boo. they first they fall, first came. But we need more Frobisher. More Frob- Everyone needs more Frobisher in their lives. Um, okay, are we? Are we? Are we <laughs> how much are we? How much are we digressing here? Quite a lot, I think, at this point. All right. So getting us back in the next one, I think, in the JNT era would be Battlefield. Yeah. Well, really, Battlefield. Mm, yeah, I would. I really don't like Battlefield. I mean, I, I, as, as we've said, you know, I just can't get over the Monty Python Knights, which just kind of just stop me every time. But again, it's... Uh, which it, I suppose, I mean, Monty Python, you know, Holy Grail is kind of folk horror. No. There's a lot of mud. <laughs> it's muck. <laughs> muck. Um, is it? It's, so it's a really blurry line, what you would consider folk horror. I think you have the really clear examples early on of... The demons and image of the Fendal, but then even with image of the Fendal, you start blurring the line with ancient astronauts. Yeah, and I think actually, from what what Battlefield is for me, what is is for me more is more of a kind of a reboot of those early to mid seventies kids shows like The Changes or Children of the Stones, and turning it into a shiny bright nineteen eighties Doctor Who artifact. So it's more mm. it's more reinterpreting an original seventies folk horror piece as a nineteen eighties sci fi concept, um, rather than kind of going back to the source material, I think. That's kind of kind of works for me in that way. We could see, definitely see the Space Knights be a soft boot of a whole new BBC Kids series where these oh, knights yeah. can travel through, yeah. through yeah, space. And the space and, knights, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, The knights that go, neat, you know. Um, just... <laughs> <laughs> but you have the whole, uh, with, the, with the destroyer, and you have uh, the pentagram, and you have the so, I mean, his... salt, and so you have yeah. elements of uh, folk... You do, folk, and I, and I, I, I mean, lore, I, guess. He, I mean, here, I mean, I'll tell you what my difficulty with 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 Battlefield was back when I saw it. A, I was too old, and B, I wanted it to be very, very occult and very kind of demon, the demons ish, and it wasn't, and that disappointed mm-hmm. me, um, and I didn't like it, and that's the reason I don't like it to this day. Apart from the Monty Python nights, which are, which do make me laugh now. Which I don't think was the effect that was that was intended, but there you go. No, no, no. I'm thinking back to the connection, and I'm, I'm wondering if this is an essential part or kind of linked early in the DNA. Because if you look at Azal in the Demons, Azal is effectively an ancient astronaut, right? And I'm wondering if that is baked into the Doctor Who uh, recipe for when you're doing with occult or folk horror that you have to have some kind of alien explanation for it. You have to have either an alien traveler or, in the case of the malice, an alien weapon. You have to have some kind of alien uh, technobabble there to explain the magic effectively. Agreed. Yep. Yep. That's how... I mean, yes, that, that's that's how Doctor Who works. It's said it, it's, it always has an overlay of 
in any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic um, aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then I think if we go into the 21st century, who I, I'm I'm thinking Mark Gatiss is probably the man to look at first with the Unquiet Dead. And I'm not. Sh- I think there's some elements of horror there, definitely with that. But I'm not sure if there's folklore. No, I, it's it's not at that point. It's more yeah, urban. It's not really an occult piece. It's it's a Victorian. It's it's a Victorian ghost story. Yeah, okay. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, certainly. Yeah. So, do we have any good examples in modern Who? Well, you know, I really wasn't pulling out that many. You know, other than I guess having Ben Wheatley direct some Capaldi episodes, Doctor Who's kind of shied away from that a little bit. Um. Really, I was kind of drawing a blank until I was thinking about the Witchfinders. Yeah, which is you know obviously connects back to Michael Reeves and Witchfinder General, um, and there's a lot of mud, uh, obviously, <laughs> um, because mud is the key element of the monster there, mm-hmm. and there's witchfinding, which is obviously a folk horror thing. But again, they kind of spike it perfectly reasonably, and you know we know, we all know that we like the Witchfinders by including you know the comedy James the First. Yeah. So skipping all the way to Whitaker's The Witchfinders, if we skipped over things that might have an element of full core but not set in Britain, like the fires of Pompeii, perhaps, with the Sisterhood of Sibylline, where you have the rituals and stuff, is that full core but set in a Roman setting? Could be. Could be. That's a good point. I mean, it is, it is kind of folky. But, I, I mean, this is part of the, the beauty of the show is that, you know, it's it's actually often quite difficult to really pass out what the um what the influences are mm-hmm. um which is great which is kind of how it should be basically and we talked earlier about the shakespeare code and you're thinking that definitely isn't full core then no i don't no i don't think it is um they're witches but they're space witches mm-hmm. i mean if they'd be more sacrificing and less shakespearing then i think <laughs> prof- i think also if you said it Outside of London, too. Yeah. If I think setting in the in the big smoke, well, not the big smoke then, but setting it in London itself, it, you, you lose that village element, which may be essential to full core. Yeah. I mean, I think if you set it in Stratford, you know, Anne Hathaway's cottage or something, mm-hmm. then then you'd be, then, and you know, countryside witches. And I think, yeah, setting in the center of London, you know, having Queen Elizabeth as a walk-on-ish part, sort of, even though it doesn't really appear... Yeah, it it kind of spikes any kind of folk horror element, in my opinion. How about the the Pandorica opens? Uh, Matt Smith's uh, first finale, Stonehenge. Stonehenge. I mean, you got Stonehenge, but it's more of a Spinal Tap Stonehenge that one to me <laughs> than, <laughs> than than a real Stonehenge. It's the real Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just, it, it, they didn't. They, I mean, it's a the 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 denouement is like in a is is in an underground Underhenge. chamber underneath Stonehenge. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. Not, if they if it actually if it had been in Stone if they of they were they at got Stonehenge per, for they got filming. permission to sort of film at Stonehenge, yes. but they didn't get permission to actually film what was going on in Stonehenge. Yeah, they got a they got permission to kind of be in Stonehenge for a bit. Um, <laughs> Matt Smith but, could stand in the middle of the henge, do a speech, and then. It was in the Underhenge on set. The, the famous Underhenge of Stokehenge, <laughs> which is something that literally doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, it's oh, it's real. It's real. It's it's real. Okay, the Underhenge. The under. <laughs> I I believe in the Underhenge. <laughs> underhenge was there first. The under the Underhenge is real. <laughs> um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm not going to give you that one. Okay? That's a that's a that's a negatory on that one. Right. 
so our druids, that, so we go back to the Stones of Blood, are druids uh, full core or do we need something? Because they're definitely pagan, but it seems like it seems like they're too old. They're too ancient. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think they're too real. I mean, they're too known, basically. I mean, druids were a thing, and uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think asterisks and obliques there. You got the druids. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I yeah, I, it's a, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think mod, if you had modern day druids. And they were doing some sacrificing, and by accident, they unleashed some kind of ancient horror that they didn't think they were going to unleash. That's folk horror. But if you just have, like, druids in druid time... I mean, let's go... Let's fast forward to Capaldi, and let's do um, the one there when they're in Scotland. What's that one? Eaters of Light. Eaters, yeah, Eaters of Light. That's kind of going in the right direction, but... It's there's there's nothing really contemporary there. It's it's you know it's Romans getting into trouble in Scotland. Right. So I think that's the essential element that folk horror has to be contemporary, yes. nipping back, and not doing anything particularly mainstream. It's kind of a revival, a folk revival of a, something that's a little bit of of, of menace, and there's a, implied sacrifice. I think in it that's that's where the horror element is yeah though of course you know if you look if i mean that 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 and i think that analysis is a good one but of course it's completely undermined by the witchfinder general and the blood and satan's claw which are those two of the key movies which is set in witchfinder time so that doesn't work uh, but i mean I, th I, th I think you're right um and then of course i said wicker man where it's not there's you know w well then you could say well maybe the folk horror works if you know if it could be set back in which findy times but the horror has to be real the satan has to be real but then of course again with 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 which finder general and with the wicker man it's not real and it's you have kind of existential sort of you know being a nothingness idea where you know you have all this horror messing about but it is essentially meaningless and people are being killed for no reason at all other than people are just wanting to kill them have you ever heard the 1977 uh, story that bob holmes wrote for bbc radio aliens in the mine no i've not heard that it had vincent Pright and peter cushing that took place in a scottish village and it has a lot of folk horror i think a, a lot of almost wicker man type of elements but it's it's definitely a sci-fi thing but it has that ruralness of uh, uh an island off of scotland where uh price and cushing are you know are trying to figure things out oh okay no i, I I'm, not, I'm not aware of that i will have to look that up and um see whether i can give it a listen somewhere yeah it, it's it's definitely uh, worth a listen to it's uh bob holmes uh unleashed so to speak without the constraints of doctor who and it's two great actors on um, price and cushing in there so it has elements of folk horror in there but it's a, a truly a sci-fi story it's worth a listen well to. there's also what's the what's that um what's that bob holmes one that was a tv show and it's set in scotland and it's like something that's um killing people but it's a russian zombie or something um the nightmare man hmm. nope not familiar with it at all the nightmare man is a science fiction drama serial transmitted by bbc tv 1981 blah 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 adopted from the novel children of the voyad voy voidnoi um and it's a <laughs> they're on an island um there's a beast that's killing everybody and the beast ends up to be like a it's a russian super weapon of some kind 
Hmm. Yeah, it's not very good. I mean, it's worth <laughs> looking at. It's it's okay. It's all right. It's 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 not bad. It's not bad. And there is something. And there's another one that again I periodically remember and then forget to try and find out what it is. But there was a radio show with Nicholas Courtney, I think in the late seventies, early nineties, um, about everyone getting rabies. <laughs> And that was kind of folk horror, but I can't. I Again, I'm failing on actually. Um, I'm not familiar okay. with that one either. Well, it's my fault yeah, I brought up yeah, Aliens in yeah, the Mind. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. <laughs> so I think the takeaway is uh, folk horror of its time in the early 1970s kind of had some echoes later on in with Stones of Blood and then uh, the Awakening, but really hasn't been revisited in Doctor Who since then. Witchfinders, I guess, is probably the closest that we're going to get, and it's contemporary. It's not set with the within the English current contemporary English village trying to revive something. It's the actual King James and uh, set in the time of uh, w- the witch witchfinder general. Yeah, of of, of actual actual witchfinding. And again, I mean, it's it's one of my favorite of the Jodie Whittaker era but i mean mainly for its comedic aspects than for its kind yeah. of scary yeah scary not scary at all really no it's not scary at all um but it's played for laughs and rightfully so rightfully so exactly and um james the first is is a character who needs to return because he was fabulous <laughs> probably not for the final though i think uh, well, we just have one story left for uh jody whitaker right maybe it'll be the return of james the first <laughs> I think it's the return of uh, Tegan and Ace, isn't it? Oh, it is the return of Tegan and Ace. We're going to have to review that one, aren't we? Yeah. Well, we're we're going to have to catch up. I'm going to have to. You're going to have um, to bite the bullet. Watch, you really watch are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You are. Yep. Well, that's uh, when when when's Jody's regeneration slated? Is it going to be this fall, summer? When when do you think it's been announced? Uh, when do you think they're going to do it? W- Doctor Who Day, November twenty third. No, it's, it's going to be it's going to be sixtieth, uh, the hundredth anniversary of the BBC. It's, it's the BBC Centenary Day is when it's going to be, whenever that is. Okay. Because that's what that's what the special. It's it's the centenary special. So I'm just pulling up the date, actually. So that's going to be, um, oh, it's the whole year, basically. So anyway, it'll be sometime later this year. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. this would probably be the year to catch up on Whitaker then. The the Whitaker catch up year, exactly. What a what a <sighs> what a special. So what special that's year that's that is. flux and two Dalek specials, right? Yeah. I, I can't I can't remember what yeah. we've done actually now we we've done yeah we'll have to go back and yeah, look so there's two yeah. there's two Dalek Christmas specials and the flux yeah yep yeah so shall we wrap up here let's wrap up um, all right uh, there you go thank you for listening to episode two hundred five of the Metabulous Two podcast I have been delving into the occult with Ben and I have been sacrificing David to the new moon <laughs> with all my other devil worshipping pals I hope that knife is clean <laughs> it's been sterilized don't worry you're good <laughs> alright okay. alright until next time bye everybody once said any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic just about to prove him right